This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical device manufacturing. Save the date for MedTech Innovation Expo 2024, taking place on the 5th and 6th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. For more information, please visit www.medtechexpo.com. Welcome to the Fantax series on the MedTalk podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Olivia Freyett, the editor of Medical Plastics News, and I'm here with Tess Kosad, the CEO from Bayer Fertility, to discuss their role in the industry and how the industry can move forward with Fantac. So Tess, could you tell me about Bayer Fertility and your role within the company? Yes, hi Olivia. So I'm Taz, I'm the CEO of Bear Fertility. I'm uh, also one of the co-founders of the company. So my role is to, well, generally sort of get things started and um, and sort of run, run the ship as it were. But I've got a brilliant team of people. It's not just me. I'm sort of really lucky to have, have them with me. And Bayer Fertility is a fertility company. We are developing a fertility treatment. So what we've done is is sort of taken an old clinical treatment and, and really reinvented it. So we think that it's it's pretty wild that you go from sort of struggling to get pregnant at home and, and, and really going through a very sort of frustrating and painful time straight to walking through the doors of a fertility clinic where you're faced with IVF, sort of IUI, really expensive invasive clinical procedures that a lot of people just aren't ready for or, or straight up can't access. And, and so what we're doing is bridging that gap with the Bayer treatment program, which takes medical devices for at-home insemination treatment and clinical support delivered by Sandy and our, our team of embryologists and GPs. And, and we combine those things into a treatment program that sort of really guides you and holds your hand as, as, you're, as you're trying to get pregnant. Okay, and I know you've kind of gone into this slightly, but what specific problems is Bayer solving? Yeah, great question. So... I think there's two problems that that we're really solving. The first is that the fertility journey is absolutely pants. Like I don't, you know, for anyone going on it, it's really horrible. It's unsupported. It's frustrating. There's a minefield of misinformation out in the world, and and it's it can be just so confusing and painful. And and so, on the one hand, what we're really doing is is sort of lending a helping hand to people who are on the journey. Our whole mission is to make the journey to building your family easier. And, and so there's a whole set of program support that we offer as we guide people through fertility treatment. The other problem that we're solving is uh, male infertility. So what I find sort of really, really funny is that we've always been branded a women's health company and a femtech company and sort of all of these good things. And, and actually, if you look at the technology that we are, have brought to market, it's, it's uniquely designed to address sperm health 
and sperm health issues, semen abnormalities. And, and we're seeing some incredible efficacy in our patient group who have sperm health issues and complications. So what we really are is a supporting hand that solves the problem of the journey just generally being a really lonely, horrible, painful journey and the technology that solves the problem of male factor infertility in a world where male factor infertility is declining really scarily, scarily quickly. Um, and why do you think so few companies are innovating to help people at the very early stage of their fertility journey? It's a really good question. I, honestly, Olivia, I think there's sort of a ton of reasons why. It's it, There's not just one. It's a really complex and, and multifactorial problem. I, I think from the clinical world's view, IVF is one of the fastest growing fertility treatment categories. The margins are incredibly healthy and supply is far lower than demand for the treatment right now. So if you look at the World Health Organization data, there's about 186 million people with infertility in the world. On average, around two and a half million rounds of IVF get carried out every year. So what we're really looking at is only 1.3% of people with infertility are accessing IVF. So there's a huge market opportunity in the clinical world and where margins are so high, there's really no commercial incentive to create an affordable and low cost treatment option. So it's sort of one of the theories we have around the clinical world is, is commercial incentive to solve this in the early stage of the journey just doesn't exist. And then I think for the companies that are solving it on the early stage of the journey, it's not easy to create a startup. You've got medical device regulations, you've got to create the hardware, you've got to find the capital to go and, and build the device and the idea and market it. You've got to find a team. There's a ton of hurdles that exist that make it sort of quite complex on for, for new entrants to, to get into the market. And those two things combined are really leaving a vacuum in the market for people who are in the early stages of their fertility journey because there just aren't enough treatment options there. Okay, um, I know you said that they are in high demand. So why do you think fertility clinics are reluctant to innovate beyond IVF and to introduce new treatments? Because commercially they're making so much money on IVF that it doesn't really make sense to, to introduce a cheap treatment. Why would they? They have long wait lists and, and the potential to make a ton of money. From a business perspective, there's no incentive. And what role can femtech companies play in closing the health data gap? And what is Bayer doing specifically to close the fertility data gap? Yeah, so I think a lot of femtech companies are, are, we're really on the ground and we're really connected to our audiences and our core users. A lot of us are building consumer facing healthcare solutions and, and female health solutions more importantly. So I think in terms of, of femtech companies, we're in a unique position to gather data directly from the people who need it, who need the solutions that we're building most. In terms of what we're doing to close that data gap, we, we actually generate a significant amount of data through our online consultation. So we have an online fertility assessment that people go through to understand if the payer treatment is right for them or not. We've got about 10,000 completions of that and the data is 
unbelievable. They were seeing some really interesting findings around desire for accessible care, inclusion, affordability, donor sperm families, etc. And what we're doing to close the data gap is publish our results. So we have an abstract that we will be uh, publishing and presenting at the Fertility Conference in Edinburgh in 2024 in February. So it's about creating and, and sort of generating the data and then putting it out into the world, you know, sort of publishing it and, and really evidencing the demand for the, the solutions that we're all building. And um, what do you think femtech companies need to do to build the trust when introducing new treatments and concepts to the market? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think as much as you can, find the evidence for your solution. So in the case of Bayer, we have brought back intracervical insemination ICI. So it's not really anything new and there's a ton of peer reviewed evidence supporting ICI. So one of the ways in which we attempt to to build trust is to to pull in that data all the time and talk about how this is not new. You know, this is a pre-existing treatment and here's the evidence that it works. But I think the other thing in, in building trust is just be there for people. You know, earlier in the year when we launched the product for the first time, it wasn't perfect. We had a couple of issues with the product. And the first thing I did was email every single one of our customers and say, hey, you may be affected by this issue. You may not be. Here's the incidence rate. If you are affected, email me personally. Whether or not you have been affected or not, we will make it up to you by shipping you, by A, fixing the problem, and B, shipping you a fixed product for free automatically. And I think, you know, you don't always get it right, but the intention is always to empower our users with the choices they need, the, the, with the information, excuse me, they need to make informed decisions on this journey and to make it right and to hold their hand and be there for them. And so as long as you're always doing those things and you're doing them with integrity and you have the data to back up what you're building, I think those are sort of, well, certainly some of the ways we build trust at Bayer. And obviously being able to admit when you're wrong and being able to speak to them directly is going to help with your relationship with them in the long run as well. Um, so I do want to circle back. I know you were, you were mentioned men before, and obviously fertility is branded as a woman's health issue. Um, but men obviously experience fertility problems too. So what do we need to do to raise awareness of male factor infertility um, and redress this balance? Yeah, that's a great question. So male factor infertility is is accounting, starting to account for 30 to 40% of all cases of infertility. Um, so infertility is, is unfairly branded a women's health issue. Broadly, really, it breaks down into a third male factor, a third female factor, and a third unexplained. So if you take out unexplained, it's 50-50 male-female. Um, somehow along the way, women picked up responsibility for the, the fertility issue. And we see it at Bea, you know, the majority of our customers of the people buying the driving decision are women, despite this being uniquely sort of designed to address sperm health issues. I think there's an awareness issue and an education issue. And we need to start to raise awareness of the fact that, hey, you know, it's really normal to have sperm health issues. 
a lot of men do. It's on the rise. And so, you know, we need to start talking about it. We need to start raising awareness of it. We need to start surfacing that it's not just women who are affected by infertility, that actually there's some really simple interventions that can be given to men to support, where the interventions for female infertility are, are, are really invasive and really expensive. You know, women have to go through ultrasound scans, transvaginal probes, you know, go to a clinical appointment, have blood tests, etc. On the male side, you could just do a really simple semen analysis. It's cheap. It's you know easily accessible, and it eliminates it potentially half of the problems. So, I think we need to really raise awareness that it, on a journey where a lot of men feel excluded and they feel like they don't know how to support their their partner, there are really very simple things that they can actually do, and it'll all be about raising awareness and 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 surfacing that hey, there there is a problem that that exists. It's normal. It's okay, and there's simple things we can do to address it. What have you learned since starting, Bea? <laughs> so much. Um, we talk about learning curves. I think of Bea as a learning vertical climbing wall with no ropes. Um, so much. I think, you know, you learn... I mean, certainly in our business, I've learned about medical device regulation. I've learned about biocompatibility testing and some of the constraints there. I, there's sort of all of the technical knowledge that you gain as you're you're building and launching a, a medical device business. But I think really the highest, the, 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 the most powerful lessons for me have been on the human side. Uh, you know, how to, how to build a team, how to hold the team, how to go through uncertainty together, how to give confidence to people when you yourself maybe don't feel confident. You know, it hasn't always been the easiest fundraising environment. And for me, it's been a real lesson in how to hold my team and, and tell them that we will make it. And then look out to the fundraising environment and think, gosh, will we? And 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 reconcile those two things and sort of hold those things to be simultaneously true. That That's certainly been one of the the biggest lessons for me is is multiple complex things can be simultaneously true and it's okay to struggle with with that sometimes. And what would you say the industry needs to be able to move forward with Femtech? Yeah, that's a really complex and and it's a complex question. I think more founders coming into the space and creating technologies that address women's health issues and, and women's issues more broadly, sort of female health, and and then more capital for these businesses. A, a recognition that femtech doesn't mean niche or small market. You know, women are half the population. And, and I think what we need is more people sort of decoupling the label from all of the perceptions that a label brings in terms of it being a small market or anything like that. It, femtech companies are working on credible solutions that address half the world's population. And, and honestly, we need the capital to go and do it. And I, I mostly really look forward to a day when we, we don't really have to call it femtech. You know, we don't, 
we don't call it Bentag. We don't slap a label on it and call it out. We we just call it tech. And I'm, I'm you know, yes, we need a label because it, it shines a spotlight on the barriers that, that are facing femtech companies and founders of femtech companies. And I really look forward to a day when we've sort of been given what we need in terms of capital and 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 support and and are able to sort of cross to a time when we're just tech you know i'm, I'm just a tech founder not a, a femtech founder um i actually love that you've said that because in wow. my most recent editor's letter for the most recent issue of the magazine i've actually made a point of when I walk around shows, I get excited when I see like a woman's health related stand and I just think, why am I getting excited? Like this should be a norm, more of like a normality when it comes to like talking about femtech and like you said, like eventually just being tech. Um, Totally. You're exactly right. This podcast is brought to you by Medical Plastics News, the leading voice in polymer innovation for the medical sector. To read more and to subscribe, visit medicalplasticsnews.com. So would you say there's a stigma of awkwardness uh, relating to women's health devices? I mean, certainly when I first started the company, I um, was raising money from a lot of people who, a lot of male investors, and we've built a medical device that's inserted into a vaginal canal. And so I think one of my early rules was if you can't, pronounce the word vagina without stumbling over it but you're not allowed to invest in this business because honestly enough is enough (laughs) Um, I think as as I've owned that it's become less and less awkward so I'm extremely comfortable sort of strolling into a room and talking about vaginas and and I think one of the things I've learned and one of the things I think is so important is if you are if you are building something that has stigma or has awkwardness you get to set the tone for that awkwardness in the room you get to 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 set the bar for what is and isn't awkward and everyone will fall into line behind you because you're the expert in your device in your market so now I just walk into rooms and I'm just you know uterus cervix sperm cervical mucus which is you know two words together that I think a lot of people are, are sort of still open their eyes out a little bit and I, I get to set the bar with what is and isn't awkward which is kind of a cool privilege actually because then you just get to be completely outrageous and and it works amazing it's been an absolute pleasure to be here and and hey anything that that helps normalize women's health and helps us see women's health stance and say cool totally belongs to be there totally deserves to be there totally belongs and 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 isn't something that's surprising or just because it is you know anything that drives towards that this podcast included i'm so so um so much of a fan of so it's just been really nice to be here thank you for having me oh i'm so glad um thank you so much tess